Welcome back to the Goal Set Mindset Podcast. On this week's episode, I invited Haley Gearsall on the show to discuss the ins and outs of macro tracking. Haley is an online fitness and nutrition coach who is super passionate about helping women meet their goals in a sustainable and empowering way. Haley and I discuss why macro tracking is effective, how it's done, and most importantly, how to transition away from it and towards intuitive eating. This episode is jam-packed with valuable nutrition tips, and I hope they resonate with you. Without further ado, here's Haley. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Haley, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, super pumped to get into an awesome conversation with you. Um, Before we dive in, can you start out just telling the listeners a little bit about yourself, your journey, and what you do? Yeah, so my name's Haley. I have a background in CrossFit, um, kind of transitioning into more of a holistic health side or health style right now. Um, I am a nutrition and fitness coach. I do mostly nutrition coaching for CrossFit women, women who are looking to see progress in the gym and also maybe lose a little bit of weight on top of that. So that's what I do. Awesome. Yeah. Talk a little bit about like, how did you get to where you are now? I know we've talked off the mic about um, your experience and your journey with fitness, but can you just kind of paint that picture for us? Yeah, yeah. So I started doing CrossFit in 2017 in the fall. I was a sophomore in college. Um, I got really, really into it. I went hardcore into it. I made it my life. I slept, ate, drank CrossFit. And the one thing that I was really kind of missing to take me to that next level was my nutrition. So I reached out to someone around the gym space who I trusted and she gave me a generic macro prescription and told me to follow it and I was like awesome cool great got it um I did that for a long time started training more didn't adjust my macros um and so I started having some experiences with red s which um for anyone who doesn't know that's basically overtraining and under eating and it's just a nasty little combination that um puts you in a not good spot So um, I recently in 2019, early 2020, I recently had to take a step back um, from the competitive side of fitness because I was just having chronic injuries left and right, couldn't sleep, uh, was having trouble eating. Um, And so now that has led me to here where I am really focusing on creating a healthy body and mindset space for myself, um, eating I still track macros, even though um, it's more of an intuitive approach to macros, but that's my journey to here where I've just kind of started focusing more on health and longevity rather than the competitive side of the sport I was doing. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I love your story specifically. So thank you for sharing that. Because one thing that I think is very powerful is that you came from this place of competitive athlete, it was your life, and you didn't really know at first that nutrition was a limiting factor for you until you fixed it, you got on top of it and you've experienced the highs and lows. I I think that a lot of coaches out there and even those of us who are just passionate about fitness, we love to 
like shove things down people's throats, say this is the best way to do it, not really understanding what it's like to go through those struggles. You know, some people pick up fitness and nutrition like that. And it's awesome that you are able to relate to people who I'm sure you see so many women who are in a similar situation to to what you went through, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Especially in the CrossFit space, it's so, so common um, just because it is such a high intensity and it's such an intense fitness routine. It is, it just is. And um, we're surrounded by these constant beautiful women who like we look up to games athletes and they're constantly shredded somehow they have at least 16 abs we just like can't we can't dissociate the fact that that's the top one percent in the world and that's what we strive to be but even those women and I think what kind of gets a little skewed from the level that I and other people like me are at is that those women are eating anywhere from 2,500 to 3,000 plus calories a day. They're not looking like that because they're in a restrictive diet. They're in a surplus. They just train even harder than what they eat for. And that's how they get those bodies. And so what's happening in the world of CrossFit is that these normal day-to-day women who can be very fit are training one, two, three hours tops, maybe, but still eating in a deficit. And so we're creating this kind of void. We're overtraining, we're under eating. And so our body starts to naturally hold on to weight. It becomes harder for us to lose weight. And that discrepancy isn't talked about much. We're, we just talk about eating whole food, nutrient-dense foods in CrossFit. We don't talk about making sure that our energy intake versus our output meets and is cohesive with one another. Yeah, definitely. And I love that you mentioned that there's two different sides of the coin when it comes to fitness and nutrition. There's people who are looking for gains, looking for performance. In that case, Mm -hmm. you want to make sure you're eating enough. But even those people who are losing weight, who want to be in a deficit, you still need to be in a sustainable deficit, right? Or else you, you spiral into those um, other negative impacts on your body system. So I want to just kind of get into the basics a little bit here for somebody who's not quite familiar with this concept of macros and macro macro tracking. Can you just break that down for us? Yeah. So common knowledge macros are, you can find them anywhere on the internet, but I like to basically explain them as they are the building blocks that create your calories. A lot of people think that the calorie is the most basic form of food when it's a little deeper than that. So calories are made up of macronutrients. And so there are three of them. There are protein, there are fat, and there are carbs. Those three things and the volume that they are present in a food is what makes up the calories. So we can break those calories down into more details. So that way any nutrition plan that is prescribed for an individual can be even more tailored to them and their goals. Um, And so for one gram of carb and one gram of protein, you will have four calories. For one gram of fat, you will have nine calories. And that's how nutrition companies and food labels get the calorie part of the label is by breaking down and creating that macro profile per food. But that's basically what a macro is. Yeah, perfect. I'm definitely with you on that explanation. And 
again, it's something that the common knowledge of a person doesn't look that deeply into food, but what food is made of is definitely important. So when it comes to tracking macros and when you're working with a client, I know it's probably very individualized, but from a a basic standpoint, if you can answer this question, um, how do you kind of go about deciding like what that breakdown is going to be? How can somebody decide how much of each they should be eating? Or is that something that really matters? Yeah. So it really depends on them and their goals, but there are some frameworks. So any individual who is active, I like to have them at at least one gram of protein per body weight. That's just from a muscular resynthesis point of view, making sure that they can recover well from their workouts and also sustain or even build that lean muscle mass that most people are looking for. And just to interrupt you real quick, is that one gram, one gram per pound of body weight that you're going for? Yes. One gram of protein per pound of body weight. There is a more complicated um, equation that you can use if you're trying to get really specific using kilograms per gram of body weight or kilograms per pound of body weight. Um, I don't, I keep it super simple. So I use body weight. Most people understand that. Um, then you have your fat breakdown. So I always go from protein to fat. So of your overall calories, it differs from men to women because women do have different hormonal health issues or considerations that we need to take into account. So for women, I like to make sure that they are set anywhere between 30 to 35% of their overall calories in grams of fat. Um, that is again, just supports hormonal health for a woman. Then men have a little more leeway. They can be anywhere from 25 to 35% of their caloric expense or their daily caloric intake. Then carbs, it's everything left over. So after you've figured out the calories and protein, the calories and fat, you just subtract that from your overall daily calorie intake. And then you divide it by four and there's your grams of carbs. So that's, that's that. Perfect. And that's just for general public, someone who works out, um, for someone who is aiming for athletic performance and depending on their sport, like ultra distance athletes are going to have more fat than carbs and vice versa. So, right. I love that you prioritize protein as number one and one gram per pound of body weight can be a lot for, especially for some of us women who have a lot of muscle mass, like myself, I'm around 155, 160 pounds. So that goal of hitting one gram per pound of body weight, it's tough, but at least yeah. if that's something that you're shooting for and you fall a little bit short. If I'm eating like my typical diet and I'm supplementing a little bit of protein throughout the day, I can hit 120 to 130 grams, like pretty solid. Yeah. And even that is, is good, but that's a great goal. And so important, especially if you're in a cutting phase, if you're trying to lose some weight to hold on to the good stuff, hold on to that lean body mass and shed Mm -hmm. the fat mass. Right. Which I think is one of the harder parts. Yeah, absolutely. We always want to support lean mass retention. You work hard for that. So you want to keep it. If you're in the gym and you are being, and you're able to put on size, that's such a hard thing for women to do. And by supporting that with that one gram of protein per body weight, that's a powerful tool to that we can use to really hold on to that lean mass that we've built and even build more. Yeah, definitely. And I also like that you, your approach 
of looking at fat second to protein. Um, I'll say from a personal standpoint, when I first started tracking macros, purely because I was very interested in nutrition, I wanted to learn about food, wasn't necessarily coming from a place of, you know, being worried about my weight or anything like that. But for whatever reason, I just assumed that like going as low as possible on the fat was a good thing. Like, all right, eat the egg whites and eat the chicken breast and like low fat, this low fat, that skim milk only. And looking back on that time in my life in college, it was, I wonder how much better I would have felt and how much more regular my hormonal situations would have been. I was having an irregular period at that time and making those connections. Now I'm like, wait a second, eating 60 grams of fat a day was so silly. And like, I was getting enough calories. Again, I wasn't being restrictive. I was just eating Mm -hmm. a shit ton of carbs. So that, that balance is important. Is that something that you've seen in your experience? Absolutely. So I was the exact same way when I started, like it was a sweet potato. If you put butter near it, I would like (laughs) the restaurant servers. I was so horrible. I'm so sorry for that. And if I could go back in time, I would, but if I ordered a sweet potato and it came out with butter on it, I would lose my mind. I'm like, I'm so sorry. You have to take this back and bring me a new one. Like I can't just scoop it off the butters in the potato. It's ruined my entire macro day. Um, but I was just as scared as fat. And I think it's because it's the word fat, like that word in our brains just has a negative connotation because we assume or associate that fat equals body fat. And it's not the same. As long as you're in a caloric deficit, you can eat your fat macros and still lose weight. In fact, you'll do it better because you are, will you'll be in a hormonal and a stress. Oh, it's the word neutral state, right? When we are super low on fat, we can't regulate our hormones properly, which have a big effect on our ability to lose weight. Um, So it's super, super important for women to meet those fat macros. Like I see a lot, a lot of clients deal with that as well. And it's just that word fat. We just associate it with gaining weight, but as long as you're in a deficit, you're fine. Right. And that's even more the reason to seek education, work with a coach so people can explain those things to you, but that's, I've never looked at it that way, but it makes perfect sense that, you know, the thing that we fear is getting fat. So obviously we're going to avoid the fat. Can you just talk about some of the roles that carbs serve in our body as well? Oh yeah. Carbs also get a bad rep. It came from the nineties, no carb movement that still plagues us to this day. They're your body's number one source of energy. And if you are anyone who just wants to feel good throughout the day. You don't even have to work out. You just have to do basic movement and not want to feel tired all the time. Carbs are going to be your best friend because they are the number one utilized source of energy within the body. And so when we neglect those carbs, that's when you tend to really feel that lethargic. It's hard to get out of bed day to day kind of thing. So if that's something that you commonly feel, I would most definitely take a look at your carbs. And if they are not high enough to support your daily energy expenditure, we need to bump those up for sure. Yeah. So essentially all of those diets out there that completely cut out an entire macronutrient or really limit Mm. an entire macronutrient, probably not a good choice. No, no. I mean, keto is what's popular right now. Um, And it's starting to transition out, which is good. Um, but I still have a few people who come to me and they're like, I've been eating keto for this long and I've lost weight. And I'm like, 
okay, great. Um, you're losing weight because you're sticking to it, not because necessarily removing carbs is what's helping you. But keto is such a specific diet because if you're not actually measuring your ketones and making sure you're in ketoacidosis, you're just eating a diet of a lot of fat. There's nothing happening for you. Um, but if that's the way that you can stick to something, because I mean, I made this point on my Instagram post today, all diets work. It's the one that you stick to that helps you individually. Um, but my belief is that why limit a food if you don't have to? Um, so keto was designed for children with epilepsy because eating a low carb diet could help them control their episodes. Um, and so I'm like, well, if you're not epileptic and you like eating bread, then why would you cut that out? So there are different ways to lose weight other than removing an entire macronutrient altogether. Yeah, I completely agree. And one thing that both of us are very passionate about, you mentioned it in the beginning with your journey is this longevity in fitness, longevity mm -hmm. in health. And a lot of that is going to come from choosing a diet and even the word diet, just choosing food that yeah. makes you feel good that you can stick to. So I want to dive into macro tracking a little bit and just kind of talking about the process of it. Like if you are sitting down with a client for the first time and talking to them about macro tracking, what is necessary in order to do that? Yeah. So step number one, have plates and bowls because your food has to go on something. And then the second thing you need is a food scale. That's all you need. The only two tools you need. Um, so with macro tracking, you are measuring the weight of a food, not necessarily the volume of a food. So a cup, um, a fourth of a cup, teaspoons, tablespoons, those don't work with macro tracking because there are no standardized measures for any of those. So they could all weigh different grams. Um, so when you are macro tracking, all you need is literally plates and bowls and a food scale, preferably one that zeroes out because then you can build meals and not have to have all of your foods in tiny little bowls and measure them separately. It just makes them much easier. Um, but you literally take whatever food that you desire, you weigh it out, you put it in your tracking app. Does it fit? Yes. Continue can move on from that food. Does it not fit? No. Okay. How can we modify the portion size to make it fit into our daily macros? Um, an example, chicken breast. We love them. They're delicious. Um, if I'm wanting to get a serving of chicken breast, a serving is typically 112 grams. So I would put 112 grams on my food scale. And then I would put that in my app. I would see that that is about 23 grams of protein, one gram of fat, zero grams of carbs. And so that is what would be subtracted from my daily allotment and I'd be good to go. Yeah. Awesome. A couple of things you mentioned there that I, that I really like. Um, first thing, the importance of weighing the food. A lot of yeah. us, when we start macro tracking, which again, it's a process, it's a skill. It's something that you get better at over time. But um, one of the features that a lot of these apps use, my fitness pal is probably like the most well-known is that mm -hmm. you can scan, you can scan packages and it'll oh, yeah. input the food so for you. Super easy and such a great tool. But when you are using that scanning tool and the serving size says one package of, let's say a snack, I don't know, like cheese, it's right. 
Yeah. It's going to estimate that it's 180 calories or whatever it is. So you eat all of that, you put it in as 180 calories. If you took that food out and weighed it, you might find that it's actually 150 or 220 because everything's a little yeah. different. Again, not that you need to be like a total 100% perfect macro tracker, but if you're somebody who's really serious about it, you'll end up making these little mistakes, if you will, without even knowing it. So I agree. The scale is king. And like, um, I've definitely before used tablespoons, one cup, half a cup. Mm -hmm. If you're scooping like half a cup of dry rice, you best believe Mm -hmm. it's going to be a heaping scoop and there's rice (laughs) piled high. So like the only way that you really know, or peanut butter. Oh my goodness. Peanut butter. The biggest one, nut butters are the biggest liars because the two tablespoons it says it should be 32 grams on the package it usually ends up being around 40 so that is eight additional grams of peanut butter or nut butter which is incredibly calorie expensive so with fats the more you go over the more calories are taken away so it's really really important with things especially fattier foods in nature like fattier foods naturally that you are weighing them and then it also we all know that we've all done it where you sit down with the peanut butter you eat the whole jar somehow but if you just weigh it out to begin with and walk away it saves you that heartache (laughs) and if you think about it if you're buying like a big bag of let's say like individually wrapped trail mix trail mix is Mm -hmm. calorically dense it's nuts not that it's bad but it has a lot of calories so you have all these packages and they all say that they're or let's say it's like cashews I don't know they all say that they're 200 calories per package but in reality like they're not all going to be exactly the same right that's not how packaging works so one of the biggest tips I'll give and I'm curious if you do this too um is to buy especially snack foods buy it in bulk, buy it in a bigger container Mm -hmm. and then put it in a Ziploc bag or a little Tupperware container. So you're not relying on the company to tell you how much it is because it's not the company's fault for being wrong. It's just, it's how mass production works. Yeah. So I think one thing to take into consideration too, when we um, have snack foods and we buy things that are individually packaged for us is that food companies are allowed to estimate their calories. They do not have to do the four times your protein and carbs plus nine times fat to get their calorie goal. They can estimate. And those estimations can cost you big time. Um, I have been on the receiving end of this as well, where I thought, oh, this bag of Chex Mix says it's 180 calories. I'll be good to go. The next day I bought another one and I weighed it just for fun. And it ended up being 250 calories. Like it was a hundred calories over what the package said. And you're right. It's because there's no, especially mixed foods like that and foods that aren't perfect, which are most foods because nothing is perfect in nature. Every single thing weighs differently. So one almond can weigh one gram, one almond can weigh two grams. You don't know unless you weigh it. And so, yes, I always have, all of my clients, if they're eating snacks, nuts, anything, it has to be weighed first. The only thing that I really have like, just there's some leeway with is like bagels. Like if you buy Dave's killer bagels, 
they're most of the time only two to three grams off of the weight that they claim. Um, so those are a really good food, but that knowledge came from weighing bagels over and over and over again. Um, so you just never know what you're going to get unless you weigh it. And so you never have an accurate picture unless you weigh it. So the bulk thing and then dividing it into separate snack bags. I love that idea. I most definitely implement that a lot. Um, because one, your snacks are already portioned for you. You don't have to worry about it again for the rest of the week. And then two, it also saves you from overeating out of sight, out of mind is what I tell a lot of my clients. And if you have the entire bag in your lap, it's in your sight, it's on your mind. So stopping that continuous munching cycle becomes much harder. But if you go ahead and divide it up, it takes away that ability. 100%. Ladies and gentlemen, we have all been there where you get (laughs) home after a long day of work and you're watching TV and you grab the bag of chips. And before you know it, the whole thing is gone. And it's not Mm -hmm. your fault. Our brains are literally designed to be addicted to these snack foods. Like one of the most eye-opening podcasts that I ever listened to was probably like two years ago um, from a nutrition company called Stronger You. And they talked about this research study that revealed how snack foods are produced. They have like literal biochemists working for Doritos Mm -hmm. to figure out the exact ratio of salty to sweet to tangy that makes your brain light up. So if you feel like you're a victim to those snack foods, we all are, it's how they're made, but take it into your own hands, portion it out. It might seem so silly, but instead of grabbing the bag, get your scale, pour it in a bowl. All right. 50 grams of chips. Okay. That's how much I'm going to eat. And, and discipline yourself and do it that way, you know, and then you won't go through that, like shaming yourself afterwards of like, oh my God, I ate way too many chips. I totally fell off track and now I'm screwed. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The food industry is one of the wealthiest and most well-funded industries. So they have their stuff together when it comes to how can we get people to eat more of this? Um, Prime example is when you go into a grocery store. I don't know if you've ever taken the time to notice, but the healthier foods, the less funded foods are on the tops and bottoms of the shelves, whereas everything that is majorly funded is eye level because those are things that you tend to grab at eye level. They literally have food psychology in your grocery stores. So we are all victim to the food industry and there's nothing we can do about it, but we can make little decisions like that to help ourselves. Yeah, 100%. And another thing that's kind of coming to mind talking about all of this is that environment is very important. Mm -hmm. I'm currently reading the book Atomic Habits, awesome book. And one of the main points that it makes is that when you're trying to create new habits and, you know, create healthier habits, if you will, setting up an environment for success is a big part of it. You feel almost like a little bit accomplished when you do that too. Yeah on Sunday night or Monday morning, whenever it is that you set those things aside, like you're making a commitment to yourself now that that's going to be easy for you to grab and easy for you to, you know, like make a healthy choice based off of. So super, super important is creating an optimal environment, having Mm -hmm. healthy foods in sight. Like, is that something that you address? Yeah, absolutely. So we call it environmental overhauling. And this is for those who have a real hard time 
with stepping away from the snacking foods or stepping away from the foods we would like them to eat less of in their diet. Um, so <laughs> I literally will have people like hide food from themselves because it comes back to that out of sight, out of mind thing. If you're not looking at it 24 seven versus if you are, it's like trying to fight your own biology. And that's hard. Um, so when we can create an environment that sets us up for success and supports our goals, we're going to be better off and it's going to be easier to make those choices day to day. Um, prime example is what is sitting on your counter. Um, a lot of people, if you go into houses that have, or like houses that have a lot of children, you'll see goldfish usually sitting on the counter or you'll see like snack foods, fruit snacks, things of that nature on the counter. So for those busy moms and they're like, I just can't step away from the goldfish. I'm like, okay, how about we put it on the tallest shelf behind something healthier? And we can do this with a fridge too. Um, it's food psychology that says the first thing that you see in your fridge is the first thing that you're going to grab. So if we can put the things in the front, be those vegetables, those fruits, you're more likely to grab those things. And this is kind of the issue with the vegetable drawer. It's on the very bottom, right? <laughs> and so we're not going to look at the very bottom for our fruits and our vegetables, but that's where we all tend to put them. So when I have someone who kind of struggles with picking more healthy options for themselves throughout the day, we overhaul their entire environment. I have had people put candy in their bathrooms because that's what they needed to do to not think about it and see it when they go in the kitchen. Because again, it's not about restricting types of food. It's about limiting our intake or creating more control around those types of things, especially for the binge eater that you work with from time to time. Um, so there are all kinds of things that we can do to overhaul their environment, to make it more supportive towards their goals, because you're right. If it's in front of you, you're going to eat it. Yeah, 100%. And I love that you mentioned that food psychology is like literally a field and there's so much research mm -hmm. on this and it, it all mm -hmm. comes down to our fundamental human biology, that most primal human brain that I talk about all the time, because in all aspects of health and mindset and fitness, although we've adapted as humans in terms of culture, our brains are pretty much the same that they've been for the last like 20,000 years. So that yeah. being, so that being said, we can reverse engineer this, right? Like we've already talked about, mm -hmm. if you're listening to this and you have trouble with those snack foods, if you have trouble not grabbing something when you see it, which I'm totally guilty too. My, my guiltiest pleasure is tortilla chips, like a bag oh. of salty ass chips. Yes. If they're in front of me and I'm hungry, I'm eating half of it. And the whole bag is yeah, like, gone. Get me some salsa. It's, it's a game over. <laughs> <laughs> but, and that being said, again, like those days are going to happen. It's okay. You can mm -hmm. eat the chips and salsa, but if you're somebody who has goals and you get upset about that and you feel like you're not making progress, let's take that same psychology and turn it into a positive. So say mm -hmm. to yourself, okay, what's that food that when I look at, I want it, hide it, put something healthier there. And you'll see that it's easy. It's simply easier to make those choices because your yeah. eyes see that food and your primal brain says, yum, berries, those are delicious. I'm going to eat yes. those instead. Yes. Yes. I yeah. mean, that's our culture. It's 
quick gratification, right? So the first thing we see is what we want. Um, so it's just a super easy way to biohack your environment, basically, because our brains are really, really smart. Sometimes we have to put their smartness on the back burner or trick them. So that way we can make sure that we keep our health and our goals in mind. Yeah, 100%. Now, another thing I want to dive into that a lot of people kind of struggle with this concept of macro tracking because they're worried that they'll become like obsessive over tracking Mm -hmm. and therefore they totally avoid it. What are your thoughts on Mm -hmm. this belief? How do you kind of face that when a client thinks that way about macro tracking? Yeah, so I think that that's a very valid argument. It does and it can become very, very obsessive if you allow it. Um, But just like with all things, what we can do is we can train our brain to think about it differently. So when we give macros power over our lives, that's when we become obsessive. That's when the macros control us and not the other way around. But when we realize that we're in the driver's seat, not the macros, they're there just as a guide. They're the map that's helping us drive along the roads, right? Um, So part of it is taking back that power from macros and realizing that And this is something that I talk about with my clients specifically, and I hope other coaches do this as well, but macros are not the end all be all and they're not forever. They're just not, um, you are not going to be 80 years old measuring out your tomato soup and grilled cheese. If you are like, okay, but for the most of us, that's not life. That's not sustainable. So when clients have this concern we just have to have that conversation of who's in control here it's not food food is not controlling you food has no power over you it's you and the way that you're thinking about these macros is how you're letting these shape your life if you are thinking of it as I have to meet these macros to a T Every single calorie and macronutrient has to be aligned every single day. You've given macros the power. But when we can look at them as just a guide to help us get near the ballpark of where we should be to achieve our goals, whether that be weight loss, performance, um, health, hormone balance, whatever the reason is then the power becomes ours. We don't have to be obsessive. I can look at my macros one day and be like, okay, I feel really good with what I've done. I still maybe have a few to check off, but I'm really proud of the work that I've done today and I feel good right now. So I'm not going to worry about the macros I haven't met. On the flip side, if we go over our macros, realizing, okay, I'm in a deficit right now because I'm trying to lose weight. So going like a hundred or so calories over isn't the end of the world. So it really comes down to how we look at macros and how we let them or how we, or how much control we give them, honestly. Um, So I think that's a big distinction that people need to make. The only time that you really need to be that strict about macros is if you're in a, a bodybuilder in a cut or in prep. That's the only time that I can think of that you need to be that strict. Even performance athletes don't have to be that strict. Um, So it just comes down to your goals and really 
having that conversation with yourself and your coach can mediate that conversation if needed. Um, but macros don't have power over you. You have power over your macros and how you view them and how you let them affect your life, not the other way around. Yeah, I really, really love that philosophy. And I honestly haven't heard somebody speak about that before, but that really hits home. And I'm sure that your clients really appreciate that as well. And it applies to all food, right? Like, let's not let food have the control, the power over us. Like, So many of us walk around with a victimized mentality in a lot of places in society, not just as it pertains to food, but fitness and jobs and stress and happiness. We're always like, oh, it's this person's fault. It's this place's fault. Like take ownership of it. Say like, no, like I'm making these decisions and not every decision has to be the perfect decision Mm -hmm. for your macros, right? One thing that I've been seeing circulating a bit on Instagram from some of the coaches that I really look up to is this spreading this message of like, food is so much more than just, and this is something that has been eye-opening to me. You know, I think one of the biggest signs of personal growth for me lately has been checking myself on old beliefs that I now don't agree with and being like, okay, I'm growing up. I used to be that food is fuel. (laughs) You know, we need to make sure it's perfect and let's go. Like, no, food is culture. Food is family. Food is connection. Food tastes good. Like food has all of these other impacts on our life so let's not Mm -hmm. let's not forget about that right yeah absolutely absolutely I mean think about it every holiday what do you do you eat you gather around with your family and your loved ones and you eat yeah so there is so much more to food and I was the exact same I was food is fuel don't even bother seasoning it because I like it's just the point only point of it is to get it down right I used to be that same person. Um, but yes, I've had to do a lot of growing up as well. And that kind of came from noticing that, man, I just, I'm here for life. I have a long life ahead of me, right? Hopefully. And to make sure that that's a long life and that it's a full life and a fulfilled life, I have to take care of myself first over everything else. So I have to make sure that I'm moving my body every day that I'm giving my body the nutrients it needs and that I'm giving it the love and the self-care that it needs, right? So I think macro tracking is a great way to start, but when we let it control our lives, we are now taking the sustainability away from it. Yeah, definitely. And like you mentioned, macro tracking isn't necessarily meant to be forever. I mean, nothing in life really is. And I think that's, again, something that, some people think about macro tracking before trying it, or maybe with a bad experience from it is this idea of obsessiveness, restrictiveness. I don't want to mm-hmm. track my calories because I want to eat whatever I want. But in fact, the approach that most coaches, nutritionists, people like me who are just interested in it will tell you is that macro tracking actually gives you freedom if you yes, approach it the right way. You. So can you speak a little bit about how does macro tracking help to promote a flexible diet or a flexible eating style? Yeah. So the difference between macros and restrictive diet culture is that macros give you more calories, right? If done well by a coach, right? 
Um, whereas most people, they think about dieting and they're like, okay, 14, 1500 calories. That's what I need to be at. But when I give you a set of macros that is going to help you lose weight over the course of five, six months, a year, blah, blah, blah. We can set that goal higher, that calorie goal higher. So you can fit more foods in there. And the rule is if it fits, it sits. If it fits in there, there's nothing off limit. I have a bowl of cereal every single day. For the past two weeks, it's been Lucky Charms and Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Love um, that. Top two I know. right there. I know. So I fit in my macros. They fit in my calories. And that's the beautiful thing about macros is that they empower you to have more control and choice in your food decisions. Whereas if you're doing a really restrictive diet, yeah, you might lose five to 10 pounds in six weeks, but you're going to gain it all back because after that diet's done, you're going to go back to your normal way of eating, right? And which is what got you there in that first place. Um, So by using macros, we have so much freedom. You can make anything and everything fit in there if it falls within your goals. So, and just because it may not fit within the goals doesn't mean it's off limits entirely. It means let's adjust the portion size and you still get to have it. So I think macros are an empowering thing. They're a tool to teach you how to eat for life. And they can give you that kind of kick in the pants that you need for deciding what intuitively is better for you in the long run. And they're just incredibly empowering. Um, When we give them control over our life, less so. But when we think of it as, wow, this is really fueling my body and I can fit all of the foods I love in here. They're incredibly empowering. Yeah, I totally agree with you. That that was a beautiful way of putting it. (laughs) And I love that you mentioned too, like, your what's what sets macro tracking aside from other diets is you learn so much along the way and people think that macro tracking is so much work and listen it's not easy at first it's it's a new thing it's a new skill going to the gym for the first time and figuring out how to work out wasn't easy tracking macros for the first time is going to take some time but yeah when you just say all right i'm going to do the keto diet no bread, no vegetables, no bagels, no beer, nothing good that we have in life. Mm -hmm. You're not learning anything from that process. So like you said, that diet ends, you close the door on keto and boom, you're back in your old habits. But when you're tracking macros, every time you enter a food into your phone, which by the way, takes like five to 10 seconds, guys, it's less with a barcode. Oh my God. It's so, it's so easy and quick, but you learn about it. So like Haley said, Mm -hmm. she knows, okay, four ounces, 113 grams of chicken breast, 23 grams of protein, like boom. And that's not to be like, like, Oh, look at me. It's like, you just learn these things, you know? Yeah. And more than that, in my, my experience, you learn what feels good for you. So you mentioned you get that flexibility, right? Like one thing when I was tracking macros up until probably like six months ago, um, I used to love at the end of the day, I would typically have calories left because I'm one of those people who was struggling to eat enough. You know, I have a Mm -hmm. lot of lean body mass and I'm physically active. So I'd have, let's say like 300 calories left for the day, whole bunch of carbs, a little bit of protein. And I would ask my roommates and be like, guys, what should I have? Okay. Should I make protein pancakes? Okay. Should I have like some ice cream? Like, should I have this? Should I have that? 
And it almost becomes a little bit of a game of like, yeah, you get to decide how you're going to fill that void and mm-hmm. you get to figure out different ways of doing it. And you just build so many skills. You learn so much and it's an investment Absolutely. at the time that you're doing it, but mm-hmm. in the long run, you benefit so much. Yeah. And I think the coolest part about macro tracking is that it teaches you a lot about yourself. Um, it teaches you this amount of food makes me feel bad. So I'm going to avoid that. Or it t- teaches me that this portion size of vegetables makes me feel really full. So when I know that I have a busy day and I don't want to be hungry throughout the day, if I can mimic this portion of vegetables, I'm going to be good to go. And so it sets you up for a lifelong ability to eat intuitively, right? Because you can then go to a restaurant and you can think, okay, they put two and a half chicken breasts on my plate. I know that if I eat that much, I'm not going to feel good. But if I eat one and a half, I'm going to feel good. And then when I go to the gym the next day, I'm going to feel strong, right? So it gives you all of the tools that you need to eat intuitively without macros. You can learn, okay, to feel my best, I need four meals a day. Or to feel my best, I need three big meals, one small meal. To feel my best, I need three average meals and a really hearty snack at the end of the day. It's all about viewing the process as a learning process, being willing and opening to growing. And it can take you so far. It's not forever, the tracking part, but you can always come back to it if needed. Like if you lose your way a little bit, you can always come back to tracking and be like, okay, maybe my perception of what a serving size of mac and cheese looks like has gotten a little off. Let me just weigh it just so I can see, right? So you have a lifelong tool once you learn how to do it. It's just like riding a bicycle. You can come back to it and do it anytime. Yeah, 100%. You are in the driver's seat. It is truly the only dieting strategy that I can think of. And again, dieting, we like to think of weight loss, just Mm -hmm. performance enhancing nutrition strategy that you have the most control over. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, I've learned so much about my eating habits. I said to you earlier, like I started off as the egg whites and spinach and chicken breast and zero calorie, not zero calorie, zero fat milk, all that stuff. And I was hungry, like a lot. And, <laughs> and like you mentioned, macro tracking does not have to be forever. Hopefully what you see with your clients, what we've experienced, you macro track for long enough to learn a lot. And then you can look at a plate of food. Do you ever do this where like you might put something in a container and like try to estimate like, okay, yes. that's 150 grams. And then you throw it on the scale and it's like 149. And you're like, let's go. Like, yeah. All the time. I can nail protein down to the gram. That's the only macro I can do it with though. My my brain is too big for carbs. I like them too much that I can just eat and eat and eat them. So like my portion size is like probably should stop there, but I go ahead and put one more scoop on. (laughs) Um, So I do have to weigh my carbs out, but protein I can nail to the gram. I don't even have to weigh it anymore. Yeah, definitely. And the the tracking part is the putting it in your phone on the app, writing it down in a notebook, whatever means you do. But the weighing part, in my opinion, is going to be valuable past that. You know, like Mm -hmm. you said, there, there there'll be certain foods that you can eyeball pretty well, but when I'm meal prepping, so if I'm putting things in containers, more so to make sure that I have enough food 
for my lunches right now, I'm weighing out the amount of rice and beef I'm putting in the container. Cause if I yeah. lowball it, I'm going to be hungry. So I'm yeah. making sure that I get that four, four and a half ounces in there. And again, it's, it doesn't take any more time. It's just, instead of the container of beef next to the empty container, you put the scale under the empty mm-hmm. container and there you go. You get your, yeah. your numbers, you know? Exactly. Exactly. With your clients that you work with, mm-hmm. do you help facilitate them to a point that they intuitively eat? Or is that something that they usually realize and progress to themselves? Yeah. So that is a big part of even my marketing strategy as a nutrition coach. I tell every single person that I get on a call with that at the end of this process, I want you to not need me. Like I sign, we sign a six month contract and that's six months of valuable education time that they get. And I even have a course module on it in my nutrition course about learning how to shift from macros to intuitive when needed, because I think macros should really only be used if there's a discrepancy between where you want to be and where you are, right? Like you have a goal and you really want to put in effort towards that goal. So there is most definitely a shift and it's basically where we take away tracking your fats and carbs and we go just to protein and calories. And we're like, okay, let's use our, we use hand portioning because if you can look and there's been some studies that have come out about hand portioning and they show that it's just about, it's like 95% as effective as a food scale. So if we can look at a cupped hand and think, this is how many carbs I should have. And you look at it on your plate and you're like, that's about the size of my cupped hand. You look at a thumb worth of fat and you're like, that's about the size of my thumb that I just used for those fats. Then you can continue to wean yourself off of tracking. And it just basically comes down to weaning off macros one by one. That's what we do. Um, we create a point and this is once you've come to a point where you can consistently track um, and consistently nail your macros because now we can understand, okay, to meet these macros, we're eating three meals a day or four meals a day or two in a snack or yada, yada. Um, So then we can use our hand portioning to think, okay, for four meals a day today, I'm only going to measure out my protein. And then I'm going to use my hand portion to guesstimate everything else. Um, And it's an incredibly powerful tool because it is accurate. It does help you get to where you need to be for your, for life really. Um, And it just gives you an extra kind of boost of accountability, honestly. But the end goal for all of my clients is that by the end of us working together, they should be able to do it 100% on their own. And without a macro scale, if needed, or without a tracking scale, um, so that's a big part of my methodology. And I think it's just so important because macros aren't forever. You're not dieting forever. You're not trying to lose weight forever. Um, if you are, that's a different conversation that we need to be having. But um, yeah, it's super important that everyone learn to eat intuitively, listen to their hunger and fullness cues, and take those for what they are throughout the day. Yeah, definitely. And I will say that says a lot about you as a coach that that is your goal and that you're very transparent about that with your clients because so many people get wrapped up in 
doing all these things perfectly and they think that it's a lifelong commitment. So I love that you emphasize that. And I'm sure you've empowered so many women to, you know, take matters into their own hands. The same thing in physical therapy. I say to people all the time, like, I'm not fixing you. I'm helping you learn how to fix you Mm -hmm. and like heal your pain and whatever's going on. So being a facilitator is huge. Now on the topic of sustainability, you mentioned like dieting is not forever. None of us are meant to follow these rules forever. So what are some other strategies or just other things that you incorporate with your clients to help promote a sustainable approach to nutrition, fitness, health in general? Yeah. So my favorite one is building a balanced plate for every meal that you're eating. Try to make it balanced or as balanced as possible. Include a protein source, a fat source, and a carb source. Um, That's an easy way to continue on forever and ever because you can always look at your plate and look and say, okay, does portion or does protein look bigger than carbs? Does the fat look bigger than the carbs and the protein? That's so easy. Like that's, that can be a one second conversation in your head. Um, So the plate method is a really powerful one that I like to use. The second thing is that making sure that we're eating X amount of meals per day that you feel best at, right? Um, And then the last one is continuing to moderate processed food portions, right? Because where we get into trouble is when our diet consists mostly of processed food. You can, yes, you can overeat on quote healthy food. All food is food. It's neither good nor bad. But if we can put in a lot of the more unprocessed foods, it's going to be really, really hard to go over your calories. I don't know if you've ever tried to do like a clean bulk and try to eat in a surplus with clean food. It is incredibly hard. It is painful. Like your stomach and your intestinal system is constantly bloated because of how much fiber is in your body by eating that way. So when we can make sure that the majority of our foods are those nutrient dense foods and practice still limiting our portions on the processed foods, you're going to be good to go. Like really, truthfully, and honestly, it's not complicated when you stick to nutrient dense whole food sources and make the processed food 20% of your diet. Awesome. Yeah, those are great tips and both things that all of us can understand no matter what our experience is with food, with nutrition in general. Um, Like we talked about before, processed foods, we love them. We love Mm -hmm. our cinnamon toast crunch. We love our salty chips, but they're out to get us. They deserve a place in your diet. You deserve to enjoy them, but don't let them be the majority. Yeah, absolutely. I make sure to just have that conversation with clients once they're offboarding that there should be one area in your house that has those things, one, and they should be contained to that one area. And that area should be hard to reach. Um, That way, when you bring it down and you portion it out, you have to put it back up and it's more work to get it down than it is worth. And that's how we want to keep it. Um, So that's another tool that we'll use is just making sure to continue to hacking the environment, right? And if you're, uh, the other one is fast food regulation or eating out regulation, um, just because eating out and getting fast food, it is a more calorically expensive adventure with food. 
Um, so if we can limit that to no more than two times a week, then you're going to be in a good spot. You really are. It comes down to keeping your nutrition simple over everything else. Make it simple and it's sustainable for life. Yeah, 100% simple, not easy, but keep it simple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Kelly, it I simple. love that. This, is, this has been such a great conversation. I'm just like super <laughs> excited for listeners to hear this one. Um, as we wrap things up, I want to hit you with the final question that all of my guests receive. This podcast, the Goal Set Mindset Podcast, is centered around setting goals and achieving them with the principles of passion, perseverance, and performance. So tell me, what's a personal goal that you have right now and how are you working towards it? So I'm working towards doing my first bodybuilding show. Um, So I have gotten a coach, Beyond Built. He's amazing. Chad, he's great. He has written a workout plan for me. He is giving me macros. So I have started counting macros again after a year of not counting. So that's been an interesting step back you know it's like kind of nostalgic in a way um and then I'm just continuing to do the the daily lifestyle things that I need to do like walking 10 steps drinking a gallon of water but basically just honing in on that so yeah that's awesome I'm so excited for you I've been following your journey you know a little bit of what you share on Instagram and that's not an easy thing to get into but I know that you know you can do it you've got the motivation you've got the tools and Um, I love that you hired a coach. Every good coach recognizes that they need a coach, right? Coaches need coaches. Anyone who says that they are, don't need a coach probably shouldn't be coaching you. So keep, if that's ever, like if you're searching or shopping for a coach and they say they don't have a coach, that is a giant red flag because we should always be learning from someone. Yeah. I'm totally with you on that. Kelly, this has been so, so awesome. Please tell the listeners where can they reach out to you, find you, potentially work with you? Yeah, so go to Instagram at strong.as.hail. Strong as hail, but with periods in between. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, definitely give Haley a follow, guys. She's really putting out some awesome content, little nutrition tips here and there, and just a really fun person to follow. I'm so glad we connected, Haley. I'll give a quick shout out to my girl, Amy, who I've shouted out on a yes. podcast. She knows so many people that I've been connected <laughs> with. Um, but this has been so, so awesome. I'll definitely put the link to your Instagram in the description so listeners can find it. And um, again, just thank you so much for your time. This was really, really fun. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Goal Set Mindset Podcast. I hope you enjoyed these tips from Haley. And if you liked this conversation, I would love if you shared it on social media and tagged Haley and I so that we can thank you personally for the support. Our socials are found in the description of this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, we will be back next week with another episode.